Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Diversity Be Like. I'm your host, Sequoia Houston. Today, I'm here with my guest, Danielle Norris. You might recognize Danny from the Diversity Be Like Virtual Book Club. He does an amazing job facilitating the monthly discussions. And when he's not chatting with us about DEI, he works as a practicing intellectual property attorney, principal partner of Norris & Norris LLP, and is a past president of the Houston Lawyers Association. He's also a former instructor and administrator at the Thurgood Marshall School of Law. And currently, Danny serves as a trustee for the Harris County Department of Education, a position he was elected into. He serves in position six, precinct one. So I I also think it's really important to say that Danny is one of my really good friends from college, from undergrad. And I'm not going to say how long we've known each other because we're both really super (laughs) young. Um, Very young. Yeah, very like young. Like, yes, yes, yeah. We just <laughs> met like two days ago. <laughs> but yeah, so it's been a minute. But welcome, Danny. Thank you for joining me. And thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It's, it's always a pleasure. So I want to start with your name because I call you Danny, but mm-hmm. your name is pronounced Danielle. Did mm-hmm. I say it right? Yeah, yeah. So okay. it's yeah, it's Danielle. It's if you when you say it, you he- actually hear Daniel. Daniel's a Hebrew name. I I, I think. Some people I was conceived in the 70s, so either my parents were really creative or high. I don't know. They were young, so who knows? But uh, my sister, my little sister's name is Tiffany, so they, they, they got less creative as they went along. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's Daniel. So when you say it's Daniel, you hear Daniel. So if you look up the etymology of Daniel, you'll see the Y and all of that extra. So yeah, but people... Well, people from from the the Middle East and like East Africa, kind of when they see my name, they were like, "Wait a minute, you got one of our names." So it, it's it's the it is Daniel, but it's Daniel. But it's it's yeah. But most yeah, most most of y'all who've known me pretty much my whole life have called me Danny. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, all of that. <laughs> so I take a minute to stop there and pause because I, with my name being Sequoia, which I feel like isn't that hard, my name gets mispronounced. Mm-hmm all the time. And I get asked all the time if there's something else that people can call me. So I'm really big on making sure that people respect a person's name. I think it can be a form of microaggression when somebody refuses to accept somebody's name and refuses to call them by their name. And so I just wanted to take a minute to pause there. Yeah. I mean, people have been, people have messed up my name. I mean, I remember in elementary and people would say, okay, the last name is Norris and the first name is messing me up. So there's that. But then I realized when I got older, people just mess people's names up. I, I know, I, yeah. I know somebody I used to work with, her name was Susan. And some, she said they messed her name up. So I don't know how, Yeah, I, I just realized that people just mess people's names up and I don't, I think people yeah. just don't care. Yeah, so. I think. Yeah, no, I, I think that there is that element of folks messing folks names up. But I noticed like with my name, Sometimes people see the Q in the black girl and they're like, oh, okay, what is this? And it's like, it's named after the tree. It's not that. There's a Toyota, a whole Toyota truck. Um, And so not the people. So for the folks listening, it's not so much that people mess up names. That's like he said, that's a given. It's more so when people refuse to try and when they just, they, I don't know. If they could say Dostoevsky, they can say Danielle or they can say Schwarzenegger. Or, yeah, or that. Yeah, so. Your former governor, they, they can say his name. They can definitely say Sequoia. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. So in season one, episode six, we spoke with Jay Veal, the founder of It's Not Complicated Education. And we talked about what he was doing through his organization to help the achievement gap. 
So today I want to talk a bit about education and the achievement gap from a systemic point of view and discuss Mm -hmm. ways we can all participate in helping close that gap and setting the children in our communities up for success. So, okay, so the achievement gap, actually, that's a large part of why I decided to run after busting on Facebook and Twitter, whatever, on social media generally about all the things that are wrong, things like criminal justice inequality or educational inequality, economic inequality, all these inequalities, all these isms, I determined that most of them are are rooted in some form of education or miseducation. Miseducation is a big deal right now. We see uh, with this vaccine, we can see how bad miseducation get uh, on a a level. But before this was back in, I ran uh, for my my seat in 2018 and got sworn in January 1st, 2019. So, but I'm on the county school board and in Texas, we uh, in Texas, there's a bunch of independent school districts, but originally Texas had the counties. The counties actually were doing the educating. So all the independent school districts became independent of the counties. I serve on the last county school board in the state. We're the biggest adult education provider in the state of Texas. We do Head Start programs. We do uh, therapy programs. We do a lot. Of, we, we try to fill in all the gaps that a lot of the gaps that the school districts are not doing since, since now all the school districts are doing certain functions. So we try to fill those functions they don't do. So part of the reason I ran was because I felt like I could jump into education more broadly as opposed to having to worry about things like homecoming or or the latest, whatever. I can actually focus on, OK, so what's going on in education? What can we do? Because my, my department, we try to fill in a lot of those gaps. We have um, uh, some of those gaps, like we have a spe- we have special schools for students with disabilities and, uh, you know, behavioral and physical uh, abnormalities. We also have uh, uh, one of our very unique schools is uh, we have a academy for students with substance abuse issues. And that's one that r- really nobody's doing. Nobody, nobody in our area, nobody, especially nobody public. I think there's maybe like 30 or so of them around the country and very few are public. Mm-hmm. So we try to fill in gaps like that. We realizing that this is an issue that needs to be addressed. And it's more and more of an issue for younger folks, uh, especially now the va- things like vaping are Apparently, according to my daughter, she's in junior high. They're they're doing it in junior high. So this is oh, not. Wow. Yeah, this is not any. This is these are things that are real issues going on. So we're able to kind of jump in those spaces where a lot of school districts just don't have the bandwidth to, to you know, or the budget to kind of go there. So we we kind of try to fill those spaces and hit those those areas. So that's part of why I want to address because yes, for me particularly, with some of the biggest issues with education is is in the fact that people kind of just are born. A lot of people are born in certain stations in life and they just, they're born in certain zip codes. Pretty much you can determine a lot of people's outcomes by their zip codes, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. We always say that people, a lot of people say that, you know, you can do whatever. And that's, in theory, that's true. But in reality, typically the more barriers people have, you know, economically, you know, all those things, when we talk about privileges and things like that, I think what we talked about on, the, on one of the book club meetings is that the more privileged you are, the easier things are to, easier things are to see. So. Yeah. And education kind of just seems to feed right into that based on where you live. Um, um, even even in places like Houston, where they've tried to like HISD try, doesn't typically people say, well, you know, if you live in a certain zip code, your taxes help help that that particular school. Well, places like Houston, where it's like, OK, well, we're going to give you a choice of which school you want to go to. But typically people still pick the schools in the nice neighborhoods. So right. people still try to send their kids to the schools that are close to River Oaks or, or, you know, the really high, high dollar zip code. So it still seems to, even, even though people have the option to do, to, to go to other places, 
people don't usually go to the to the schools in the hood and say, I want to go here. And, you know, this is going to be the school that's going to push me forward. So right. it, it's very interesting in that regard. So, yeah, that that is, it, it, you know, what? I want to back up for a moment because you said something that I thought was really interesting, too. I think when we really think when we tend to think about the achievement gap, we think about black students or students of color mm-hmm. in general. But there are. A couple of other things that you mentioned, you mentioned students with disabilities, you mentioned students who may have some type of addiction mm-hmm. to different substances and things like that. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Like, are there other parts of the achievement gap maybe that we're not as focused on? Oh, yeah, plenty. Uh, in short, yes, lots. Particularly for disabled students, I know that is a huge issue in in, in Texas, and I, I know many school districts have, and, and, and our, actually, I believe our state was actually cited for not addressing students with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, not too long. I think within the last few years, Texas has been cited generally as not addressing students with uh, disability issues, disabilities in general. And even with our, we have four special schools. Two of them are specifically for students with, you know, developmental and emotional issues. And we have students as far as I think they say Brenham that come and actually come down Brenham for those who, who probably don't have it tonight it's about an hour away. So, I mean, it, it, they're, they're just not going to, I mean, they, they drive each day an hour to and from our campus just to get the ability to have a, an environment where they can actually learn uh, and, mm. and grow. Cause even, you know, if you're, even if your child, a lot of times you just want to make sure your child has the, the best access to whatever helps them grow. Um, right. And one of those, actually, one of the one of the schools I'm mentioning, I actually served as a judge. They had a like an e-robot competition where they actually had to build a robot and make make it do certain things. So, I mean, and some of these students are, I mean, are severely severely autistic, or and and they were putting things together and still still making it happen. So, you know, I yeah. I, I think that the idea is that if you can give the, the the proper opportunity for no matter who the kid is and what what their issues are, they should be able to. To, to learn and grow. And, and that's what we all want as, yeah. as, as, as I know I do as a parent. Yeah. And as generally as a society, we want everybody to kind of reach their full potential as possible. I think so. I, I agree with you. I think it's interesting because I remember going to a couple of different schools. I went to a high school that was in Dallas Independent School District. That was just mm-hmm. a regular high school in the district. It wasn't in a bad area, but it wasn't in mm-hmm. the best areas either. And I remember two different experiences. So because after that, I went to a magnet school, which, you know, magnet mm-hmm. schools are treated a bit differently. Right. Right. So the first school we had, the teacher was dissecting a frog, but mm-hmm. there were like 30 students in the class. She had one frog. So she's at the front of the classroom dissecting this little frog oh, trying wow. to show us. Right. And then in my magnet school, the very next year, we dissected a cat and mm-hmm. a baby shark. And everybody so everybody, well, we were paired off, but even uh-huh. that was more so for educational purposes so we can learn mm-hmm. together because mm-hmm. they did have enough for everybody to have one if everybody wanted one. So mm-hmm. it was just an, a difference in the way that things were treated because of the resources mm-hmm. that were available. And so I can only imagine if there was someone in my class that had developmental challenges or differences in their ability to learn Mm -hmm. how they learned things like that. One, there weren't enough resources to go around for them to Mm -hmm. even, you know, some people might be more tactical. 
So they right. may have needed to touch and feel and see and do all of that. Whereas there are others who they may have been okay just watching and may have been okay even seeing it on the board, right? But mm-hmm. the teacher didn't even have enough resources to do it in the first place, nor did she have the bandwidth to really focus on the students who may have been, may have had different learning abilities. Right, right. And I mean, I think this this past year, year and a half, we've seen the difference of resources has been even more amplified because with the virtual, a lot of kids who had, who didn't have resources, and particularly were the ones who really struggled. Or even, I even, you know, as a parent, I could tell you that my kids had access to everything, but I noticed a difference to the point where it's like, okay, well, y'all, they were virtual most of last year, but at a certain point, you know, when things are not getting done, it, it, we just, you know, we realize that in-person education is just still better if possible. You know, if if, mm-hmm. if you can do it safely, they, you know, went with a mask on and everything. But yeah. And can, can you tell safely. me why that is? Because um, I think for some of us who, especially like me, I don't have kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And I work remotely. I feel like I work just as fine remotely as I do in person. Mm-hmm. And I, as a person who does not have kids, would kind of say, oh, there's no way I'm sending my kids back to school. Right. It's mm-hmm. easy to say that because I don't have them. But as right. someone who has kids and who kind of sees what's going on, why do you think it's better for them to have in-person education? It's for the most part, typically. I, I, OK, so there's the generally they tend to learn better in person. For, if you ask my grandmother, she she said the kids get lazy when they get home, according to my grandmother. Mm-hmm. So okay, uh, I, I do notice, I mean, like a lot of times and, and this is just a there's no, I haven't done the scientific survey, but I know a lot of parents that I know I talked to, they'll say they're supposed to be, you know, they'll go early on when they were, their kids were supposed to be in class. They were like, oh yeah, they're in class. And they, they have like a whole nother tab open where it's just so easy to be distracted when you're in your room or when you're, when you have the ability to open tabs. And there's a couple of times I, my son was supposed to be in class and I'm like, why is there a Sonic on, why is he, why is the tab with Sonic on, on the, <laughs> on the, so it happens. I think, for, I think, just, just as a parent, I know, like with my son, he was, he's very easily distracted. Was, you know, and then having that easy access to other things is one thing. My daughter is, I, I don't know if it's her distractions much, but a lot of times for her, it was getting things submitted. It was like the teachers are saying they're not getting it. And then, you know, when you're, when you're in middle school, I think getting things uploaded was always a trick. Well, like for her, it was like, how do you upload her guitar lesson that she was doing for class? Things that, that seemed to be its own issue, but. When they both went back to school sometime in the spring, I mean, no issues. Like it was like everybody, any any gaps we had, they kind of just disappeared immediately. So Right. And uh, like you I, said, that was with them having access to the resources. So you can only imagine what it's like for students who are already starting at a deficit and being able exactly. to, to get those things done. Yeah. And I heard stories. I mean, even because we we actually gave uh, one of the things our department did, we gave out grants for things like iPads and laptops. But from what we were hearing from some of the school districts, like, well, the parents are using the iPads and the laptops because, oh, wow. you know, certain in certain demographics, you run into those issues. So there's a lot of issues. Yeah. I mean, kids have enough kids didn't have enough issues to distract themselves. So yeah. uh, when you have other life issues, it, can, it becomes way more distracting. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, th- those are some things to consider. So yeah, usually when you're in class, when everybody's in class, there's less to distract, even though that you're there, but there are, there are less things to distract you. Like mom using a laptop or having the ability to jump on and, and play video games instead of, or, you know, what, instead of doing or listening and paying attention to whatever you're doing. So things like that uh, are things to 
that were very much highlighted during this past year. And we, we kind of saw uh, that's why I think they're trying to get kids back into school, which I understand. But yeah, but we, we have a Delta variant now and that's <laughs> makes that it been, tricky. Yeah, to say the least. So, yeah, it, it has been a big uh, it's been a lot of juggling. Actually, this past board meeting we had this past Wednesday, I was, you know, I'm the president of the board. And I, I was on there and I started swearing a little bit after we had to make a decision about the mask <laughs> because I was like, you know, I usually don't swear on the mic. But, you know, this I said the, the term for this is, is a term I, I remember the term that describes this situation for us as board members is the term I remember from my, my high school football coach. And that term is horse shit because this I mean, that's pretty much what we was. We need to make sure we think about our staff. Matter of fact, we actually had a staff member that died a couple weeks oh, ago. Wow. He contracted COVID and he had a heart attack two days later. So. It's it's serious, isn't you know? It's not a, this. There's not he, he was not vaccinated. He's planning on getting vaccinated, but the point being is that you know, with all this going on, we still have to. And but then we have a a, a, a governor who has who has banned any mandates and what the potential of finding us and and actually we since we're a county entity, we actually usually get a couple of bills to dissolve us. There's uh for some reason our our brethren on the right side of the aisle seem to. Not who who tend to always talk bad about government. They 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 see they tend to try to dissolve us. So we usually have a bills pending against us. So considering that we're still in session, it, it was is a tricky thing because like we don't care being sued by Abbott. That's not our big issue. You know, we pay some money. We might even be arrested, or uh, I don't know if they'll do that or not. But the idea of them being able to either cancel our tax rate or just dissolve us completely that was very tricky. So gotcha. uh, so we ended up giving a hundred thousand dollars to incentives for COVID safety measures. However, the measures are, and you know, it, it's tricky because if you can't do a mask mandate, you have to figure out some of the other measures. We're going to kind of leave that to the superintendent, his, his administration to kind of figure it out. But that's what we could do in this situation. But yeah, at, at the time I was, I remember saying this is, you know, this is a terrible situation to be in. And this parent as a, you know, as a, as being, as a board member and all these things, it, it really, really freaking sucks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can see of, that. Yeah. Under the advice of counsel, we, we want to make sure that we didn't end up, you know, just in people going to be really mad if they end up closed down. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, COVID brings its own set of issues and challenges, mm-hmm. but there are also things outside of that. If you had to name one of the top challenges for students and parents today outside of COVID, what would you how would you answer that and, and why? Typically, life issues are the bigger factors. And I guess COVID is just another life issue. What So in Houston, for those who are not who, who are unfamiliar, so Houston ISD is actually, and I'm not going to talk bad about them, but they're actually under potential takeover from the state based on a law that basically says if you have any schools that fail repeatedly, if you have a school that consistently fails, I think five years or more in a row, then you will be Either you have to recharter the school or, which basically is uh, most uh, a lot, part of the school, char- recharter it, or the, the Texas Education Agency can take over your school board. Well, they they had, when I when they first did that, when I law, law first went into effect, they had 10 schools. They got it down to, I think, five. This past year, they had one school, which is Wheatley High School, which is where Barbara Jordan went and one of the authors of the bill, actually. But uh, I say all that to say that once I said I brought this up because I remember a few, maybe two or three years ago, there was a study on life expectancy in the county. 
and the shortest life expectancy, the zip code with the shortest life expectancy fed that school and a couple mm. of other schools that were around were on that list when it was 10. So really it's a poverty issue. And you know, when I, I've, I've looked at some of their, some of their studies, I'm trying to figure out things that we can do to help. But I, I remember seeing like a lot of life issues that were going on, like home instability, food instability, things like that. If you don't have some of the bare necessities, school becomes such a, such a back burner issue. So yeah, I mean, if, if you yeah, if you're hungry, it's hard to learn. Uh, that's right. why, that's why a lot of school districts have were doing free food even during the pandemic when kids weren't coming to school. They they made it where they could at least come and get food and, and that much. So uh, and if you don't have a consistent place to live, so things like that are, are are things that tend to really impact you know the ability to learn. It doesn't matter how bright you are, you know, when life is chaotic. Yeah, it's it's hard to focus your attention on something like learning. So it's interesting because a lot of times people will say things like, oh, you're just making it about race. And why does it have to be about race? And if we're focusing on students of color, then instead of all students, isn't that biased? Right. But when you look at things like you said, this is a study that Mm -hmm. showed life expectancy. So we're looking at actual data that Mm -hmm. is saying that these students need the focus and need the attention. How do you handle those situations with parents or people in the community or whatever they're like we need to stop focusing so much on this race stuff or whatever and we just need to focus on everybody and all kids will be okay Uh, well i i push back a little bit on it i mean so i've been talking about socioeconomics but race typically overlaps really heavily with those socioeconomic issues typically for historical reasons i mean many communities of color were you know were always underfunded and just flat out discriminated against in the past and, and a lot of times in the present as well. So those those socioeconomic life issues that are happening to their parents and to their, you know, grandparents, you know, has now is now affecting these the lives of these these particular students. Not and that's before you get into the things in the classroom, like our, our teachers having bias issues and things like that that are, is also well documented that a lot of teachers are biased against students of color. So there, these things do need to be considered. I think one of the biggest issues for education is about equity. I think that's that's a term that a lot of people do not put enough value in. And it's not it's not equal, necessarily just equality because you know you can get funded equally, but like I said, if you have students with life issues, they're going to need more resources right. than the students who don't have life issues. So right. making sure that 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 equity is in mind, and it's not it's not where a lot of people are generally. Unfortunately, uh, a, a lot of I won't say that every school board is probably thinking in those terms or and things like that are not always considered when it comes to education, but it, it, it needs to be considered um, that equity is a huge component of making sure that students are able to bridge those achievement gaps and things that we've been talking about. So, yeah. What are some things that we as the general public or you as someone as an elected official can do to help? make sure that these systems and these these schools are more equitable particularly for communities it's if you know where the gaps are because a lot of times i mean as board as board members we get the you know the 50,000 foot view so we have we have the discussions we set budgets but you know knowing where the the squeaky wheel gets the grease right so knowing where the issues are community that's where the community we we represent the community but typically, it's you know, we try to go seek out what are the issues in the community, but also 
feel free to speak up as the community and say, hey, these are some issues going on and I need these are issues and it happens either with my child or, or my people I know. I have friends that have kids in the system and I need, you know, these are issues that need to be addressed and we can kind of figure out how do we, can we earmark funds for the board? The biggest issue, where are the funds going? Yeah. Um, what our department, I mean, we just passed a budget of a, what, 154 million. I think big school, like really big school districts like Houston ISD have like a two, I think it's like a $2 billion budget, something like that. So some of that money can definitely go towards addressing equity issues, uh, but we have to know where they are and, and you know, other. <laughs> what does that look like, right? I, as a person who, you know, I used to be a big sister with big brothers, big sister, right? And so mm-hmm. I noticed that there were some challenges with the school that my little went to and how they handled mm-hmm. things as opposed to how, you know, I went to a magnet school. So I could see very clearly distinctive differences, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned, oh, you know, go tell, but what does that look like for me? Like, what does it look like for a general member of the public? What mm-hmm. steps would I take? How would I even know where to start? Just look who who represents that school district. Send them an email. I get emails all the time for different reasons. A lot of times it's vendors trying to sell, you know, trying to push things through our, but I mean, it's, it's, if you're having a, a community issue specifically, just shoot. I mean, it is really just a matter of, a, of an email, a phone call, whatever, or go to a board meeting. You can do all of those things. You can, you can, because typically board meetings, there is a, a space for the public to speak and just go say, Hey, I noticed this issue. And as you can sit, particularly when it's, when it's, when it's the budget preparation period, say, feel free to be sure to try to put something towards this, this particular. These are some of the issues I noticed as a member of the community. You, you, it's up to you to address and put fund those things because really, ultimately, the, the biggest thing that school boards do is they fund these initiatives. Our, our budget is usually as, as one of the courses I took. They say your budget is your game plan, basically. That it's your your priorities are reflected in your budget. So if you're saying that we're having some big issues and you know whatever the space is, whether it be you know after maybe there needs to be more aftercare, maybe there needs to be more tutoring, maybe there needs to be more funding for whatever, whatever it may be. Make sure that that that's expressed to the, those who are making the decisions who are typically in, in the, the board is, is the budget. I think people just don't realize how many millions of dollars, you know, most boards are over multi-million dollar budgets and very, and then most people don't pay attention to the school board and they're, they're the ones who affect their kids. So right. address, address them directly and just let them know. It's, it's really a matter of just shooting an email, showing up to a board meeting and saying, Hey, this is an issue I noticed. And, and, and most times, a lot of times they won't, they'll be like, oh, I didn't even know that. So let's, let's look into that. Let's let, have this. The, uh, typically, if we have a member of the public or some, or somebody emails, we'll, I'll forward it to the superintendent and say, hey, do you have anybody that can look into this? And then the superintendent will forward it to whatever department that goes to and, and it, it will get some traction from there. But it, it will never get any traction if you don't have a clue about it. So Absolutely. E- even as a big sister, you, you know, you, you can, you can just shoot an email. Hey, my little sister was saying, I got these issues and then let them look into it and see if they can do something about it. Gotcha. I think that's really important. And I think it's also important. I mean, it goes back to the idea of voting in local elections, too, because I think a lot of times we get caught up on, oh, who's the president and who's mm-hmm. this person going to be? But we don't pay enough attention to our local elections. And those are the things that make the biggest difference a lot of times in our personal lives. Yeah. I, I, one of the posts I like to repost all the time, and I, 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 I remember... This concept, I remember somebody who was running actually brought it out. And I usually post it like during election season is that the, the further down it is on your ballot, the closer it is to your front door. 
So mm. when we see the top of the ticket, like the president or the governor, or the, depending on what year it is, or the, the mayor or whatever, a lot of those are the things that we, we hear most about because they have the biggest, biggest budgets. But yeah, the, that, that, that school board member or that, that, that DA, or, you know, we, we talk about criminal justice reform, but who's the DA? And what, what are their policies on, on criminal justice reform? They're the ones who are going to be prosecuting or not prosecuting these people in these police officers situations we keep fussing about. Who are the school board that, that affected the, the kids or the kids in your community? You know, who's the sheriff? Who, all these things that are your community specifically. These are the people that you might run into actually in the streets or in your particular community. These are the people that will most likely affect you. So the, really, the lower down it is on your ballot, the more important it really is to your everyday life for, versus when the president gets in office, they might have an agenda. You might get a huge federal initiative later on, you know, that, that may eventually trigger down to the local level. But for the most part, yeah, the, 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 the immediate, the immediate uh, changes typically come from the lower races, the races that are closest to your front door. Gotcha. And we talked a little bit about the challenges that parents and students and people in the community might have. Being on the other side of the table now, what are some of the challenges that you have in your space in getting things done and accomplished for students? I think from a board member's perspective, we always, for the most part, we run, and, and in Texas, pretty much we run for, for free for the most part. Most of these are, are, are unpaid. Like, technically, I get paid, but I believe it's like $6 a month or something like that. Definitely not, nothing, nothing I'm going to be retiring on. So, <laughs> but we run for these things because we actually are trying to just do what we can for our communities. But the biggest issue is just mainly knowing what, what are the community what are some of the needs? And, you know, this is, I happen to be a very social person. So I try to go to as many places as I can to, to hear from the community when I can. But yeah, a lot of times we don't know the need. And I, I think also, I think it's not necessarily a problem for me, but I think some board members that we were, I was having a discussion with our superintendent not too long ago is sometimes there is, there can be miscommunication. Typically the way a good functioning board works is that, you know, Everything pretty much go. We, the board directs the superintendent, just like most boards, you direct the superintendent or the president, depending on what, you know, if in the university level, the, the board of trustees directs the president, the president does the work through the cabinet. And it's similar, it's similar on the school board level. You, you basically, you confer with the president, I'm sorry, the president, the superintendent and the superintendent confers with the, the executive staff and it happens. Occasionally you have the staff member that, that starts emailing the board and trying to, you know, to try to circumvent that. That can be tricky. Because ultimately, everything you don't—you're really not their boss. He is, or she is, whoever the superintendent is. That can be tricky as a board member, just making sure that you keep you keep things in perspective. As in, like I'm I'm his boss or her boss, and they're your boss. So typically, like as a board member, anytime any 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 particular, if I'm trying to figure out which department something needs to get forwarded to, I'll typically ask our superintendent, and then I'll. I'll email, I'll forward that email to them and then CC him on it. Or, you know, I, tr I try to keep our superintendent at least in communication because it comes out really crazy if, if, if I come to him with an issue and it's the first time he's heard about it. You know, right. it's like there's an issue in this department and it's like, well, why are they going to you? Like they should have came to me that I'm the one who's going to actually be able to address it. So these are things that can be tricky as a board member. So knowing, knowing what the issues are in the community and then making sure protocol is followed as far as making sure that you, you, you're keeping everything above board is usually some of the, the pitfalls that you, you got to navigate as a board member. Absolutely. Okay. 
What are some of the things that you've been able to accomplish in this role that you're proud of or that have made a significant impact? So we've done a few things. The interesting part about my board is actually we're partisan, which is different in education. And actually, I'm not sure if it's probably the best route for education, honestly. But, you know, it was what it was. So I had to run as a Democrat. When I actually was elected, it was it was two Democrats and five Republicans on a board of seven. And a, a couple were interested in closing the department down as well, which is his own thing. It's like, why, why, why would you run for a position that you want to end, dissolve, ultimately, is, is a very interesting perspective to me. So when I first got on the board, I, I say all that to say that when I first got on the board, it was very interesting. I mean, they, 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 I think my very first meeting, we got rid of our lobbyists and we're about to go into a legislative session with like four or five bills that were pending to dissolve us. And it's like, holy crap, we're, are we going to make it out this year? It looked really, really bleak for a little bit. Uh, it was just a matter of just trying to keep the doors open. But that that changed. Two people resigned from the board and then and it ended up one of the so of the one of the Republicans was disgruntled with the other Republicans. Uh, and he ended up voting most most of the time he ended up voting with the Democrats. So when the two people resigned, it became a three versus two uh, situation. And then we basically flipped the board. So now there's six Democrats. With that that flip and the and the last um, the last election that we had flipped the board, so now we have been pushing very progressive things. I mean, we uh, actually we, we're now uh, going to implement a fifteen dollar minimum wage. We're gonna uh, that that was actually proposed by one of the Republicans, which was interesting. But one of the Republicans who's, who's no longer on the board. But um, I think you know making sure that we pay fair, fair wage. We have a number of capital improvement projects. One of the things that I I specifically pushed that I'm glad is being implemented. And I'll, I'll find out when we get to the one-year mark. One of the things last year is, is that I found out there was a study done that our county dollars, our county contracts, of all our county contracts, very few were going to the minority communities. I mean, I think they said of all the contracts, 94% were going to white male firm, white male-owned firms. Uh, and I think they, Harris County is like 20 or 30% black. And it was like maybe point, I think it was 0.5, like, 50 cents on every hundred dollars was going to African-Americans and that's black. I mean, that's, that's male and female. So very few were going to, to member communities of color. And when I, that report came out sometime, I think around June or July of last year. And I remember bringing that up at our board meeting last year. And one of the things that was done was that we actually, one of the things that was suggested by our, our council was saying that, you know, it, it, you get tricky when you try to start, you can't do set aside specifically, but you can do small business contracts and have incentives where small businesses, which are a lot of, a lot of your minority owned firms are small, small mm-hmm. businesses, but we, we, we did it in a way, particularly, which was great because we have all these, we have like, we're doing like $50 million of, of capital improvements right now. So lots of money is flowing and we, put a, a, a small business program together where all these general contractors get more. There's an incentive for working with small businesses in this space. So I wanted to, I think our one year mark is in October. One of the things I told our financial officers that I would love to see how we compare on our contracts compared to how we did the year before. So that was one thing that I was glad to see. I was glad to kind of take note of, and it was like, what are we doing? And then right. what all these, all this money that we're about to spend can we do it in a way? And from what I understand, it actually is making a difference. I think some of the, they said one of the firms would probably have got the, the contract had they have had any, any minority or any, any small business work 
uh, one it, it, from what I understand, some of the some it is making actually a real effect. So mm-hmm. I'm very curious on seeing how the numbers actually play. Because the engineer background on my my background is is about what are the numbers? What are the numbers right. actually going to say? Tell me what did it did it make an impact? Hopefully, we can do better than 05 percent what the county was doing, what the county realized that it was doing, and before it's trying to make its own changes. So absolutely, you know what? And then you pouring into those small businesses. And mm-hmm. those minority owned businesses also goes back to pouring into that community and changing mm-hmm. the makeup really of that community, the communities right. that they are in and the communities of changing the impact of their overall likelihood to live. And those different things that are impacted just by their zip code. Right. If we're Absolutely. changing the resources that they have, we get to change that narrative, which is really exciting. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that is, is, is super exciting. I mean, so, and, and right now it's just a very interesting, it's a very good time because most of the board right now, we're all, we're, you know, we're for the most part, we're very much in line with pushing things forward. It's, it's funny because our superintendent has had to kind of readjust because the board was so different a couple of years ago. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he, he, he's basically what, what the, that, so we're doing some things. We're actually, we have a, uh, we also have a, we're doing a project with equine therapy. For those who are unfamiliar, equine is dealing with horses. And we, we, we're, we're putting a facility in, in Barrett Station, which is actually a historical community, a historical community founded by a former slave. I think he was the biggest African-American landowner, the biggest, the biggest free slave landowner at the time, in the late 1800s when he established that, that settlement. It's just east, it's on the east side of the Houston area. Mm. Uh, but we're putting a, a facility there. And a part of that, because I remember when we were talking about what, you know, why are we worried about horses? Like, what, what is the deal here? And one of the points that we brought up was that a lot of these kids would not have access to this. Like, this is this is very much private. Like, this is private school things. This is not public, mm-hmm. emotionally disturbed kids getting mm-hmm. access to horses. They don't typically get access to horses. And it, it, it makes a huge difference. So things like that that we're doing, I'm super excited to see. Things that we're doing that are impacting the community, that are impacting historical communities, that are impacting minority communities, that are impacting our community at large. Because one of the things I, I, I remember when I was running, I was at, I kept saying, if I if I run for anything, it's going to help. It's going to help one of the the, the, the distraught. You know, that's my thing. What are the what are the, the the disenfranchised communities? Those are the communities that I'm I'm typically very much I'm very much an advocate for because typically nobody else will be. Everybody likes cater to people with money and, and right. the high influence, you know, right. communities, but very few people can cater to those who are poor, minorities and you know, disabled, all those things. So when I found out that this specific department and this, this position actually addresses most of the kids that come through our program are minority, they're, they're disabled. They're all, they're, they're the, the, the distraught and the downtrodden as they say. So yeah. know, that was one of the, one of the reasons I actually decided to, to, to serve in this capacity. So it's, you know, I'm I'm glad to see those those kids specifically in those communities able to be empowered and and to you know to to be uplifted and move forward because typically they get thrown to the side and just discarded the way our system has worked in a lot of places and a lot of a lot, historically. So, right. Given your years of experience as a board of trustee, what's one myth that you would like to debunk about the process? about how you can best support students, particularly those who are in underrepresented communities or who are downtrodden, as you mentioned, whether it be 
for other board members, whether it be for the community at, at large, just something that you would like to say, okay, this isn't really how it works, but here's how it works and here's how we can make things better. I think, I don't know if it's a myth, but a lot of people just feel like, well, what can I do? And I can't do anything. And like I mentioned earlier, we gladly will, will get an email or, or try to respond and listen. I mean, the, the idea that you can't have an impact is something that you need to get out as a community member. You need to just realize, yes, you can. And particularly from, from board members, and the reason I say that is because since most of us run for positions, we like to be nice to people. I mean, people who <laughs> run for office, so, you know, this is why most of your politicians are very nice to you. They run for office. They're going to be asking for your vote, right? So, like, so, yeah, just, I mean, feel free to, to, to exploit that. But, like, yes, I, and you don't have to go to them and say, you want my vote? Do this, necessarily. But, I mean, you can, <laughs> you can at least reach out to them and say, hey, this is an issue. And you're in a position of, to be able to do that. And, that, and that, that's, that's really for any elected. I mean, whether it be school board members or state representatives, city representatives, uh, federal representatives. They 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 typically they tend to listen. Uh, this is why during really bad legislative sessions they'll tell you to call your congressman or call your state representative or whatever. And I say call your school board member because uh, you you too uh, you absolutely can can have an impact even if it's even if you don't think it's that major. I think it's something you should always speak up if you see something speak up. Uh, there we're not that and 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 I am on a relatively large. For, for the most part, most school board members are very local. I represent a county school board, which is a little different because we represent everybody in the county, which is, I represent one of the four precincts in our county, which is like made up of 1.1, between 1.1 and 1.2 million people. That is very atypical. Most school boards mm -hmm. are like the community that is right there, especially if you're in like in the suburbs or a really small town. Uh, your school board, you probably run into them at the grocery store. So it's, <laughs> it's usually something that most people don't have to run. Most people run into, they're very local typically. But, and then also, I would also say that as far as myths, uh, I think some people just think, well, I don't know if I can do that. And it's like, well, I, I think, and I, and I mean, as far as running, I think I, I was one of the people, you know, Obama on his way out. And he basically was like, I guess Trump was about to go in office. And he was like, look, look if, if you think things really suck, feel free to pick up your clipboard and get out there and do something yourself. And that, that was kind of my idea. It wasn't that I, I never run before. So I, you know, I had to pick up a clip, literally pick up a clipboard, go tell people I was running. And then have to do my best to get the 1.2 million people I was representing to, to know me as best as they could to vote for me. So it, it's, it's very doable. I think people, we have one of our board members that he's not even 30 yet. Uh, he, mm -hmm. he represents, he's at large, which means he represents four, the 4.7 million people in our county. So it's, it's definitely something that you don't have to wait until you're, you know, really old to do or, I, I say if you you know, if you feel like you feel like you can make a difference, I say go for it. What are some things that you wish to see happen that will make you know that it was all worth it? I think um, I would love to see more. I guess you know I'm a numbers person, so I think I would love to see the impact both on how many students are we are able to we're able to impact. Are we impacting more students? What is our reach? Are we impacted? What are we doing as far as adult education? You know, our numbers, where are our numbers, you know, are they trending up, down? Are we making a difference? Really my big thing. So are we making a difference and how are those differences fleshed out in the numbers? The numbers typically tell the story. So maybe when I got in, if I see that we're 
addressing, you know, I know for sure we're the staff, we're, we're addressing the staff. I mean, by, you know, things like the minimum wage and things like that are helping boost the salary of the staff. So I know that we're impacting the staff and trying to make the working conditions better. How are we making a difference on students? Are we impacting more students, more students in particular areas? When we, when we implement this equine therapy program, are we going to see noticeable differences? These are all things that I'm looking at. Are we leaving ultimately kind of one of my life, my overarching life philosophies is leaving people better or, and in this case, leaving this organization better than when I first encountered it. So at the end of my six-year term, because it is a six-year term, so I'm, I'm up for re-election in 2024. So I have a few more years. So by 20, you know, by 2024, when my term is coming to an end, am I leaving this specific department better off? And I, I feel like I am. Uh, so far, we're moving in that direction. And I think we're moving in the right direction. But I would love to see. And if I decide to either run for this position again or if I decide to run for something else, I want to know, like, these are the things I, I, I'm going to say. These are the things that I, we were able to accomplish while I was on the board. So all things that but all things that I'm looking forward to. But, yeah, impacting more kids, impacting education more generally. That's what our department does. Impacting the community in a positive way. These are all things that I'm I'm like, OK, th- these are all things that I'm glad to, that I've been able to do in this time, in these six years for six dollars a month. These are <laughs> these are all the <laughs> These are all the things that I, you know, I signed up for. Uh, so, yeah. Get you a whole sandwich, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, not, not a fancy one. Not too fancy. So. <laughs> Actually, I think, your, I think your book just got here. I think I just saw somebody come to the door. I think your book just arrived. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> so, that'll be for the next Diversity Book Club. <laughs> Diversity Light Book Club meeting. So. so, could we see, you mentioned whether you run for this or something else in the future. Could we see? Danny Norris, like Governor Danny Norris, or or do you have any aspirations to do anything like that one day? I don't. I, I I'm not sure. I would say Governor. I, I, to be honest, I'm not sure. I always try to go for a position that makes an impact. Where that is and wh- what opportunity will arise, I'm not sure. Will it Will it be on the state level? Will it be on the, the local level? I can't say right now. So I, I'm not saying I don't have my whole life planned out for anybody who's asking. I kind of I kind of take it one day at a time. I'm very much a very yellow centric. Uh, so you live once, just plant. I want to make an impact on the community. So however that I'm able to do that, if it be in this position or if it be in a another position, I'm, I'm game for it. So we'll see. I tried to get the scoop, folks, but he's being a politician <laughs> on us right now. Not telling. No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, but I do love the fact that for you, it's really about the impact. It's not about the title. It's not about anything other than the impact that you can make in your community. So right, I, I really right. love that. And, and then another thing, and I, and I will tell you, too, and it's not it's, it's definitely about the impact. And I think people also realize when you get into politics, too, you, you have to make sure that you. I can't say which spaces will be the, the race for me either. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I can't say that I can, this, this is going to be the open race. I'm going to, I'm going to be able to do X, Y, Z. Most of, most of it will, a lot of it does have, have to do with timing as well. Uh, we'll see how this, they'll be doing some redistricting at the end of this year too. That's another thing. So, you know, what, what are these districts going to, what are these districts going to look like? What, you know, all these things are also part of the calculation as well. So it's not just the, I would love to say I'm just all about, I can't say I'm just, just waiting with love and all, you know, all these things. I, that's true too. <laughs> but I'm also like, I'm not going to just jump into a race just to jump in. If I jump into a race, I'm going to do it because I think I'm the best person for it. And that I think I could have a shot of winning. So okay, that, well, that if is you, also part of the calculation. 
People have been trying to get me to move back to Texas. So if you run for governor, I'll come back for a little okay. bit. For a little Let's bit. Let's get to know. Okay. Briefly. Briefly. Like I, I'm holding you to that. I'm like, look here, look here. You said you were coming <laughs> back. <laughs> I said it on the podcast. So the, you know, now I said it in front of the people. But briefly, like I'll come back long enough to like be there, be uh-huh. a, a resident, vote, and then move back to okay, California. Okay. <laughs> okay, you're gonna <laughs> you're not gonna you're gonna come for at least for the for the for the inauguration. You're gonna come to the inauguration party, right? <laughs> I will definitely do that for sure. That's <laughs> no, all good. That's all good. Nah, no, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate. That. At least I know got one one solid vote if I if I do that. One vote. <laughs> yep. So yes, okay, when people think of Danielle Norris, mm-hmm. what do you want your lasting legacy to be? And this can be anything, not just the work that you do on the school board, not just mm-hmm. the work that you do as an attorney, not just the mm-hmm. work that you've done as an educator, because you've done a lot of really great stuff. So thinking over your life so far and the parts of your life that you've thought through for the future, what is it that you want your lasting legacy to be? Um, I would say that in general, I would just say I'm a lover of life. I know when I say yellow centric, I'm very serious. I mean, like I, I really do try to experience this thing called life and impact it the best way I can. So, I mean, I, I just really enjoy the whole idea of living. So, I mean, how, and, and I, this is why I do triathlons. And in addition to the stuff, I, I just like, Hey, I want to do a triathlon. I, I need to get my swim game together. Like, or I, or, you know, I need to, or, or when I did the Austin marathon, I said, I want to do one. So I, I signed up for, I, I do a lot of these things more in general, just to, to experience this thing called life. So I, I very much enjoy new experiences and and new people. I mean, this is generally this, this, I'm very people centric because I, I just really enjoy living and enjoying meeting people. So I think I, I think if you're asking my tombstone uh, story, <laughs> <laughs> like one of the or the eulogy that I get, you know, I, I just hope that it's like he did he he did whatever he wanted and enjoyed the people that, that it, it, it positively impacted the people that people in the, and then the things that he was able to, to come in contact with, but he just really lived. And I think I, I enjoy the journey of living and all of these things. And I try to help, you know, I try to those closest to me, like my wife and the kids, I try to make sure that they are able to, to, I try not to wear them out because I do a lot. Sometimes I do too much according to them. So, <laughs> Sometimes I go too far with it, but but yeah, generally I think it's the whole idea of, of having a chance to live this thing uh, is is really my my overarching thing. So uh, hopefully, if you ever encounter me, anybody ever encounter me that's listening to this, they can have a positive a positive interaction and and be inspired to do something positive that that would be constructive in their life as opposed to saying, "Damn, he was a pain in the whatever." <laughs> wow. Well- I don't know. He he said he wanted to do all this positivity stuff. I ain't feel that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think that you are a very positive person. I think that you live up to that because even when I asked you about the book club, you're like, "Okay, cool, let's do it." Um, <laughs> and I was yeah. like, "Are you sure?" And you're like, "Yeah, let's do it." <laughs> so, so I definitely think that. And then whenever I am blessed to get married, now that I'm gonna have to come to you and ask you how you manage it all because I also do a lot. And so I'll need like some mentorship on how to get my <laughs> my future husband and kids on board with that without burning them out <laughs> with all that I right. do. So yeah, you might want to talk to her too because I like sometimes I my, yeah my, I I don't know if I'm not always I just tell people one day at a time. It's low. Some some days are good. Some days right. need more work. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, Danny, I. 
I don't have any more questions for you. I think this has been an amazing conversation. I'm so thankful that I was able to have it with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all that you do for the community. My pleasure. My pleasure. Hey, hey, somebody got to do it. Why not me? Right. That's, that's kind of, <laughs> why not? So, yeah, but I appreciate your I appreciate your time and thank you for having me on. I'm, and thank you for whoever's listening. I appreciate you taking the time to listen what little old me got to say. And if you're in Harris County in 2024, make sure you go vote <laughs> for Danny <laughs> for whatever he's running for. <laughs> hey, I might be running for street sweeper. Who knows? But hey, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're if you're here, I'm always I'm always game. Uh, people people come to me about anything, whether it be about education, whether it be about law. I'm, I'm always game for a good conversation, especially especially a good conversation that involves a drink or two. I'm I'm always game for a, a, a nice. <laughs> A nice conversation over libations, as they say. Absolutely. And if you need a trademark or any of that fun intellectual property stuff, too, he's also your guy. So we'll have to have you back to talk about that and talk about <laughs> the importance of protecting your intellectual property. Absolutely. Um, so. I've been meaning, actually, I've been meaning to write a book. I, I did an intellectual property spill for somebody's course, and I was like, I need to go ahead and put this book out because uh, most people are just confused on the, the, the IP stuff. So, yeah, the other, yeah, that's that's my other hat. That's the hat that I do to actually get paid, you know, more, <laughs> more than six dollars a month. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, people who are interested in inventions or or trademarks or copyright material, which I know lots, lots of you in, in the California market are, especially in the, the, the L.A. area. Yeah. We can we can have that discussion another another time for sure. I, I need to call you, actually, because somebody just used my thing again. So I need to go ahead and just do it. So Uh-oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be talking real soon. It sounds we'll like. be talking real soon. So, but all right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. That's it for this episode of Diversity Be Like. If you want to keep up with us, please be sure to check us out online. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Diversity Be Like. You can also shoot us an email at our new email address, diversitybelike at gmail.com. And also feel free to join the conversation on your favorite social network using hashtag diversity be like. All right. Until next time. All right. Have a good one.